Well, amen. It's good to be able to come together today and to, to gather around God's Word and to let Him speak to us through His Holy Word. And I'm just always grateful to be able to come and, and share God's Word with the church family and with God's people. And um, this morning, I want to be able to do that and to um, give Him honor and praise through doing that. You know, right now we have a lot of people in our community who are sick and who are struggling, and, and we certainly want to remember those and, um, and lift them up in prayer. And uh, we, you know, again, just want to honor God through this, this time this morning. You know, we have come through this Christmas season and this New Year's season, and now we're looking ahead um, as how to, God would have us serve in the year 2022. You know, when I think about that, I think about the time that we're living in. We are living in a time where the truth of the gospel is under attack. The truth of the gospel is under attack. You know, it always has been, but it seems like today with the prevalence of social media and everybody um, is so quick to share their opinion and their, vo and their voice out in public with really no repercussion, um, that we live in a time like never before where the truth is under attack. You know, everyone shares their opinion. Um, maybe sometimes they should, but probably most of the times they shouldn't. And there are so many, because of this, there's so many voices out there telling us what is true and what is not. Maybe you've heard a phrase like, truth to me or my truth. So this morning we're going to talk about where the truth comes from. But before we do, I want to show a video that just kind of sets the climate a little bit of, uh, of where we are, I think, in society. This is a couple of street interviews um, asking the, just the simple question of who is Jesus. If you'll play that video. And it has volume, you'll have to unmute it. Historical figure? I don't know. I think he was just a person. I don't know. Just a normal person, like us? He was a selfless person. I have no clue, he was a man. I think he was a marketing genius, because he got people to believe him. I don't, I don't think he's the son of God. I don't believe that at all. If David Copperfield was in the day of Jesus, he would be Jesus. I'm pretty sure he existed, like I'm not going to say that he didn't exist. He was God's son, but so was Gandhi, and so was Muhammad, and so was, you know, we're all God's children. Jesus is someone I pray to. Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, um, and he, to me, is the, like, symbol of just ultimate forgiveness and ultimate love. He's sort of that, like, constant figure in my life. Jesus is also Isa in Arabic, and he was a messenger as well. He was just extremely enlightened, like, religiously and morally. He was somebody that um, just tried to um, impart wisdom on others and um, make the world a better place. I think he saw something that a lot of people didn't see and still don't see in others. And I think that's just a lot of love and, and hope. Jesus sort of seemed like an ominous uh, figure. You know, he just, he, he was God, and it was hard to relate to him, but I think as I've grown in my faith a lot, I've really started to see Jesus as 
my closest friend. like prophet for eventually what would become Christianity and then at the age of 32 he died on the cross and it's like three days later he was resurrected. I believe that religion was created to control the masses really. Jesus is the our Lord and Savior that died on the cross for us for our sins. Jesus is a uh, person that existed that continues to enrich the lives of people every day. Jesus is God's son and he was sent to save our sins. I think he is a pretty cool guy. He had a, a peaceful philosophy. I think he's misinterpreted by a lot of people. He's the savior of this world. I don't know. I don't really believe in him, so I don't really think anything happened. I mean, he could have been a real person. I mean, I'm sure he was. I mean, I'm sure he was just, you know, good at what he did or something. I feel that Jesus is a modern-day scapegoat. Jesus is God, I think. Yeah, I just learned that. Uh, Jesus was a man, from what I figure. Who is Jesus? He was a dude, was back in the day. Pretty awesome. He had a beard. He was just kind of a guy with a really unique, positive message as that kind of gave a lot of people a lot of hope. He probably existed, but I don't believe that he was the son of God. He died on the cross for us and uh, saved us. And Rose again from the dead. That wouldn't sound smart, but. <laughs> All right, so I wanted to show that video because it illustrates how there are so many opinions out there about who Jesus is and who, who Christ is, who God is. Um, a, few, a few of them that we saw here in this video, some people said he was a historical figure, a normal person, he was selfless. Um, somebody said they had no clue who he was. Somebody said a marketing genius. Um, somebody said he was not the son of God. Um, the crazy guy with all the pigeons said he was an ancient David Copperfield. Uh, the one girl said he was a dude with a beard, and I almost took that one out um, because it was, just seemed a little irreverent. But I left it because I want to illustrate the point of what the way this world sees Jesus um, some people said he was same as all the other religious figures and founders. Um, some people said he's who I pray to, Lord and Savior. He died for our sins. I think they can be these. All these responses can be wrapped up in three kind of major ideas, if you will. Some people don't believe in him or believe he's a phony. Some people believe he was merely a good teacher or a good person. And then, of course, people believe that he is God. He's God's son, the savior of the world. I want to talk about this morning just briefly um, about the implications that that has on the church. Uh, the way that this generation views God and views who Jesus is. And what implications that has on the church and what we are called to do. I think of a verse from Judges 2.10. Um, a little bit of background here. This is after Joshua has died. And this is what uh, happens after Joshua dies. It says, After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And I think that speaks to the, to the state of the world today. The world has forgotten what God has done 
forgotten the, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, forgotten the, the greatness of God and who he is. There's so many voices out there. It is imperative for the believer to know the truth, to know God's word. You see, we are in a war for the heart and minds of our students, of our parents, and of our people. And the only way, the only way we will honor God through this is through the word. The only way we will reach the hearts and minds of our students, parents, and people is through the word. And that is the only way that this next generation will know who Jesus really is. You see, the only place that the truth about God resides is in the word. And that's why it's so important that we understand theology and what the Bible teaches. A lack of care about theology in the church throughout history has led to many false teachings and ideas that are believed about Jesus today and even taught in some churches today. Last week, as Pastor Larry shared, churches across the country were setting new goals, new visions, and new objectives. And Pastor Larry challenged us with several truths and goals. And we're going to look at a few more of those today, particularly in how every Christ follower is caused to raise up and disciple the next generation. We call that student ministry, but that is a calling for every Christ follower. We are all called to raise up and disciple the next generation. Now, last week, Larry had a great illustration about his dog, Franklin. And I thought, well, maybe I should have an illustration that has to do with my dog. And that's a little bit difficult. We have a dog, but we call our dog the cat dog because she just, especially when she was a puppy, just does not act like a dog. You'll whistle for her and call for her and she just goes. Every other dog I've ever had or known, when you whistle and call for them, they come up to you happy wagging their tail. And she does that now a little more that she's older. But uh, we call her the cat dog. But one thing I have had people comment to me when they come to the house is, she really listens to you. If you say, go get in the kennel, she goes right there. If you say, come on, she follows you. If you say, get outside, she goes to the door. And I got to thinking about that. And the, the way that happened is just repetition over and over and over. And one of the ways I, I really noticed that with her was one morning, uh, we were running a little late, and I hollered to Tyler and to Bethany, let's go, time to go, let's go. And the dog got up and went and got in the kennel and turned around and sat down for me to close, close the gate. And I said, we've done this so many times. We run late every day so many times. She just knows when I say let's go, she's got to go get in that kennel. Repetition is what trained her to know where she's supposed to be. And I think of these verses in, in thinking about how do we train up the next generation. I think of these verses in Deuteronomy 4. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. 
and you shall write them on the doorposts of your home and on your gates. With so many voices telling our young people what to believe, it is imperative that all of us together and unitedly speak the truth of the gospel to our children over and over and over. It starts at home with the parents, with the grandparents, and with family. But the responsibility falls on all of us. It falls on all of the church. Let's look at a couple of highlights in these verses. It says, you shall teach them. You shall talk of them. These are talking about the commandments of God. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them on your hand, between your eyes, write them on your doorposts and on your gates. We need a constant reminding of the gospel. And we need to be constantly reminding of the gospel to our families, to our fellow believers, and to this world. Again, last week, Pastor Larry brought us a message called The New Year and the New You. And that came from 2 Corinthians 5, 11, from 11 to 17. We talked about the ministry of reconciliation, how God through Christ has joined himself and given us the message of reconciliation. And this morning, we're going to look at the rest of that, that chapter, the last five verses of 2 Corinthians 5.17. And we're going to talk about a new day, but the same mission. We ha- we've come into a new year, and every morning we wake up to a new day, but as Christ followers, we have the same mission. Just a little review, a few challenges from last week. The Lord desires for us to grow in our grace and knowledge of him. In other words, he wants us to mean business with him, to serve him. One of the key verses last week was 1 Peter 2, 2, which says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. The imagery here is clear, very clear. How does an infant or a baby grow? Well, through its mother's milk or through formula, through sustenance. It has to have nutrients to grow. A baby has to have nutrients to grow into the person that God has created them to be. And as that baby gets older, it starts to eat more solid food and just needs sustenance to grow. So what is our spiritual sustenance? What is the the imagery here that, uh, that Peter is portraying? Well, that would be the spiritual disciplines. Our, our spiritual sustenance, what makes us grow, is the disciplines that God has given us. What are some of those? Bible reading, prayer, worship, evangelism, giving, fasting, and there are many others. But disciplines in the Christian life that God has given us. I want to take just a few moments to look at just one of these and see what the neglect of the spiritual disciplines does in our lives in the life of the church, um, and for the cause of the gospel. So here's a sad fact when it comes to Bible reading. Less than 30% of Christians will ever read through the entire Bible. Now that's a worldwide um, estimate. Less than 30% of Christians will ever read through the entire Bible. Now some of this is not by neglect. 
There are many places in the world, many people groups, that gospel exposure is still new. Um, their access to the scriptures is very limited. Maybe there's no translations in those languages. Um, there are places where it is illegal still to have a copy of God's word. Um, so some, some of that is not by neglect. There are places in the world that just don't have access to the scriptures like we do. But here is an exceedingly sad fact. 82% of Christian Americans only read their Bible on Sundays while in church. The, the word that is supposed to lead and guide us, that is supposed to teach us everything we know about who God is, 82% of Christian Americans only read their Bibles on Sunday while in church. You know, having, we have access to the Word of God like never before in history. I think of this past summer when we were at Elmfuge and the camp pastor, Travis Agnew, who I have known for a long time, went to school with him. Um, he told a story of a member in his church coming to him after he had preached on the importance of being in God's Word. And he told him that he was planning on listening to the audio Bible in his car on the way to work, but he said, I, I don't think that's good enough. And what Travis told him was this, he said, something is better than nothing. Yes, of course, sitting down and opening the, the book, the Word, and studying it is best, but something is better than nothing. Start somewhere, and I encourage you, if you're not in God's Word daily, start somewhere. If it's nothing more than uh, listening to a chapter through the audio Bible, which if you have a smartphone, you have it. You have it on you. We have access to the gospel like never before in history. We have, there are plans on the Bible app that you can sign up for for yearly reading. Pastor Larry's put out a plan that we have in the back of our bulletin every week. Uh, it's we have the gospel in the palm of our hands. But yet 82% of Christian Americans only read their Bibles on Sunday while in church. We take for granted how much access we have to the scriptures. I can't help but wonder how Christians from times past would feel about the modern church's neglect for the scriptures. It reminds me of the time that Santa Claus punched a heretic. Y'all not know that story? I'll tell you. So this comes from uh, the Christ Christian Post website. And it says, Another famous story tells of a feisty interaction between St. Nicholas and the heretic Arius at the historic council of Nicaea. In A.D. 325, the very first ecumenical council, in this decisive council, Arius taught that Jesus was not co-equal to God the Father, but rather was created by him. Unable to restrain his dispute with Arius, St. Nicholas approached Arius and slapped or punched him in the face. The bishop's loss of cool shocked many of his contemporaries, though today many relish the fact that Santa Claus himself, in a sense, was a staunch defender of Christian orthodoxy. Now this story is legend, probably not true, uh, but it's a legend that's been passed down over the years, but I wanted to share that story to make a point. I cannot help but think that maybe we need a few ancient theologians to come and knock us upside the head 
in regards to the neglect that we tend to approach the scriptures with. What is the price for ignoring the spiritual disciplines? And I want to be clear. The spiritual disciplines do not gain you favor with God. Being in God's word, being in God's house, spending time in prayer does not gain you favor with God. Only faith in Christ Jesus and his death on the cross does that. But it does, and it is a gift that God has given us to help us grow in our faith. But what is the cost? What is the cost of neglecting the word? You have statistics like this. 57% of American Christians believe that other religions can lead to eternal life. And that's just one statistic taken from a survey across churches in America. 57% believe other religions can lead to eternal life. And there are many other surveys on questions like, is Jesus God's son or did Jesus sin? You would be amazed how many people who attend church regularly believe heresies like Jesus sinned or that Jesus, as the uh, story about Arius and Santa Claus or St. Nick, that Jesus was not God's son or was just merely created by God rather than being God himself. Last week we were called to abandon our selfish ways and draw closer to God and we do that by being committed to the spiritual disciplines, longing for that pure spiritual milk. The more we grow, the more we find ourselves in awe of God's greatness and his work. And finally, one more uh, reminder from last week. Pastor Larry made the statement that a healthy fear and reverence about God Almighty will compel you to spill your guts about what Jesus has done. A new day, but the same mission. We wrapped up last week with verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old has passed away is simply Paul stating how we are born again. We are changed. We are different in Christ. And ultimately, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. The new creation, this idea, is twofold. One, we are a new creation in the fact that our sin has been replaced by Christ's righteousness. And we'll see that as we get down to the bottom of this chapter in verse 21. And then secondly, the Spirit continually shapes, shapes us and grows us in our faith. So I want to take just a few minutes to look at the remaining verses in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. As I read those, would you stand as we honor God's word therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness 
of God. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that this morning as we look at these few verses, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, show us the importance of being on mission for you. Lord, of having the gospel at the tip of our tongues, speaking of it when we lay down, when we rise up, when we're with our families and our children and all of those you have put in our influence. Lord, bless this word and this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 18 tells us, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is a great comfort, this verse, in the realm of evangelism and discipleship. You see, God gave us the calling to a ministry that he does all of the work therein. I'll say that again. God gave us the calling to a ministry that he does all of the work therein. It says, all of this is from God. What is this in verse 18? The gospel, the saving work that makes us a new creation. You know, one of the greatest fears of sharing the gospel or serving in the church or teaching the gospel is the fear of rejection and the fear of failure or not knowing what to say or what to do. The fear, the fear of rejection. And this is a great, a great encouragement from this verse that it's not up to me and you to prick the heart of an individual to come to know Christ and to grow in their faith. God does the work. All of this is from God. Some verses that that speak to this spiritual truth. John 6:44, Jesus says, "No one can come to the to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day." God does the drawing. God works on the heart. What you and I say is just an act of obedience that God uses, but it is all from God. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 12 say this, and this is kind of at the end of the, the passage in 1 Corinthians when Paul is talking about how the message of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. How to those in the world, the gospel is foolishness. We saw that in the video earlier, how some of the people who talked about Jesus, did it with some irreverence and maybe a little bit of disdain. But the gospel is foolishness unless God pricks the heart. Look what it says in these verses. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And verse 12 says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit whom is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We don't have to worry about convincing, about persuading, about saving someone. God just calls us to be obedient to serve where he has led us to serve. And when we are obedient, he does the work in people's hearts. So verse 18 again says, So all of this is from God who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So who is us in this verse? 
It could be argued here that Paul was referring to himself and Timothy as the author and co-author of this letter. And that's fine. It can, it, it can be inferred that Paul was referring to himself, but I think that the implication here is for all believers. And I certainly know that other scripture is clear that we are to be on mission. Matthew 28, very familiar verses in verses 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is telling his disciples to go and make new disciples, to go to all corners of the globe, everywhere, and make new disciples. And in verse 20 it says, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. We are all called to be disciple makers. Every command given to the disciples, they passed on to us. So if they're called to go and make disciples and teaching them all that Christ commanded, then so are we. Remember how in 1 Peter, Peter tells us to crave pure spiritual milk? 1 Peter 2, 2. Well, let's look what he was that is preparing us for just a few verses later in verse 9. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God has called us all to proclaim the gospel and train up and disciple those who he places under our influence. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The first part of this verse, again, is simply the gospel. God was reconciling him, the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. How does he do this? Well, simply the gospel, his work on the cross. You know, Roman, it tells us in the book of Romans what Jesus has done for us. Romans 3.23 tells us, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone who's ever lived um, has never lived up to the standard of God. A couple chapters later, it tells us the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we earn because of our sinfulness is death and separation from God. But again, he did the work. Chapter 5, verse 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love the book of Romans. If you want to know how to share the gospel with people, read the book of Romans. Get familiar with the book of Romans. It's a great, a great, a great uh, telling of the gospel. God did the work. And then in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is, is saved. And then verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is how God 
made us right with him. That is how in verse 19 where it says God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Jesus received our wages. You know, I used to always say Jesus paid our wages. But Jesus didn't pay them. He received them. We earned death because of our sin. That is what we were supposed to get. But for all of those who are in Christ, Jesus took that death. And as we'll see at the final verse of this chapter in 2 Corinthians 5, when that happened, our sin was placed on him and his righteousness was placed on us so that when God sees us, he sees the perfect righteousness of the Son. Jesus paid our debt. And that should make us excited. That should compel us to be obedient, to serve him, and to tell the world and to raise up those who come behind us in the ways of Jesus, in the ways of the Bible, so that they can know the saving grace of Christ. Again, verse 19, the second part of that says, because of that, he has entrusted us to us the message of reconciliation. There it is again. Verse 18 said he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 says he entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. Do you think that might be important? Usually when somebody writes a letter or gives an address to people, uh, the stuff that's important, they repeat over and over. Repetition means importance. If you read through 2 Corinthians 5, you see this calling and this entrusting with the message of reconciliation given to the church. Verse 20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. More repetition, this time more in the, in the practical practice of sharing the gospel and pleading for people to come to know Christ says we are ambassadors for Christ. What is an, amb an ambassador? The Greek word here literally means one who speaks as an emissary or one who speaks for Christ. You know, we have this role of being an ambassador for Christ. If you are a Christ follower, you have that role, whether you want it and embrace it or not. You have that role. You, every person has a circle of influence. God has put people in your life who you influence. It. Whether you know it or not, there are people who look at you and know that you are a Christ follower, that know you go to church. Have you ever heard the phrase, you may be the only Bible someone ever reads? Have you ever heard that phrase? You see, whether it be a co-worker, a classmate, a friend who knows that you claim to be a Christian, when they look at you, you are the ambassador for Christ. You speak for Christ. You are the one who they look at to see what Christianity is all about. God has made us his ambassadors. How does your life speak to who Christ is? And with that thought, I want to take just a moment to speak to the parent. As parents, we have been given an incredible and heavy responsibility. Parents are the number one influencers of their children. Number one. Don't just think that because you bring your child or kid to church, 
that they will think that church is important. Now, there are statistics that, that are good in that area, and we're going to look at some of those in a moment. But don't just think that bringing your child to church is, is good enough. You are the number one discipler. You are the first Bible that they will ever read. Where you show commitment and where you show priority is where they will eventually have commitment and priority. The church is here to assist and equip you, but God has given the parent the primary role of raising children in the ways of the Lord. Look at these stats. Listen to these. Stats about church attendance. And this is for children who are actively attending church. Children whose both, both parents attend regularly, 72% of those will attend as adults. Church that just the father attends regularly, 55% will attend as adults. Children who just the mother attends, 15% will attend regularly as adults. And children who neither parent is in church, but they happen to be, 6% will still attend church regularly as an adult. Listen to this other survey. This is for children who are the first people to become Christians in their family. Or or, uh, this is for who is the first person to become Christians. Christian in the family. A child who is the first person to become a Christian, 3.5% of that child's entire, the entire family will convert. So I'll say that again. If the child is the first one to convert to Christianity, 3.5% of the time the entire family will convert. If the mother is the first one to convert to Christianity, 17% of the time the entire family will eventually convert. If the father is the first to convert to Christianity, 93% of the time, 93%, the entire family will convert. Parents, fathers in particular, the Bible and the statistics tell us that God has given us a role, a calling. How do we do this? How do we train up the next generation? How do we disciple them? The passage I read, read at the beginning, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. And when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. Love God. Live out your faith. Be an example to your children, to your grandchildren, to those who God has put under your influence. Let the gospel ever be on the tip of your tongue. In church, we must come alongside parents and assist in this enormous calling. The idea of, I have put my time in, 
or paid my dues in student ministry is a sinful and downright selfish idea. The gospel, gospel parenting is exhausting and taxing. We must share the load, church. We must come alongside parents and help them. We must also have the gospel ever on our tongues to train up the next generation. I'm incredibly thankful for those of you who have come alongside of me and Tracy and helped us instill the values of Christ into our children. And when Tyler and Bethany are grown, as long as I'm physically able, Lord willing, I hope I will do all that I can to help those raising kids behind me. You, are nev you never out-age serving God and serving our children. You know, the older generation can have an immeasurable impact on students. Some of you have done that. A few weeks ago, one of our uh, student lessons at Awana started out with a question, who is the most reliable person you know? And many of our students named people who are sitting in here today. And you know, that made me proud and that made me happy that we have a church who loves our students. But God calls us still to be on mission and to come alongside our parents and help raise our kids in the ways of the Lord. Finally, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul wraps up this passage with a one-sentence description of what happened when God reconciled us to himself. A one-sentence description of the message of reconciliation. That he made him to be sin. He made Christ to be sin who knew no sin. In other words, our sin was placed on him so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This truth in the life of the believer should compel us to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim what Jesus has done. So to wrap up with a couple of goals for 2022 in our student ministry, some things we're going to do and, and some ways you can serve. Um, first, one of the major goals this year in our student ministry is go going to be to, um, to help equip our parents to disciple their children, to raise them in the ways of the Lord. And with our youth, we're going to begin that um, on the first Sunday night of every month, starting in February. Um, following our youth meeting, we're going to have just a little time where parents can come in and we'll have a little meeting with the parents and um, discuss what we're teaching, what we're learning about, and give some resources where the parents can talk about those things at home. And I encourage parents or grandparents or whoever to come to that. And um, we, will, we will adjust the time to where we see works the best, but we're going to start uh, with that being on first Sundays immediately following our Awana time, so it will be right around 5.30 at the Activity Center, and I will encourage parents to come and be a part of that where we can, again, discuss what we're learning about, but also have a time of questions, um, a time where we can pray for our students, uh, maybe pray for particular um, things that are going on in the lives of our students. And that's, that's one way. 
Um, another way, another resource that we have um, is this um, small little booklet called Ages and Stages. And this can be for anybody who has a student or a child in their life, whether they're your child, your grandchild, um, a friend's child, whatever it may be, if you're a Sunday school teacher even, um, an Awana leader, whatever. If you have children that you uh, proclaim the gospel, speak the gospel to. Um, it has ideas broken down of how to do that for certain age groups. Um, age groups as young as younger preschoolers, still, uh, you know, babies that are still crawling, middle, middle preschoolers, older preschoolers, younger kids, middle kids, preteens, middle school, all the way up to high school. And it just had for each page that, that is dedicated to each of those age groups. And it just gives little bullet point ideas of how you, of different spiritual truths that those age groups are ready to learn about and understand and, and um, how to, to speak about those things with your children. Remember how the word said, when you lay down, when you rise up, have these commands on the tip of your tongue. These are, um, this is just a, a good strategy of uh, what kind of ideas to talk about to children of all ages. And the back of it has scripture that goes along with each of these. So my goal is for every family to get one of these. We've ordered um, a bunch of them. They should be in this week. I have a sign-up sheet over here. Um, if you want to get one of those, um, please sign up for it. I will make sure it gets to you. Um, and even if you don't sign up, I'm eventually going to get one to you anyway. Um, but that will help me get started if you, will, if you will sign up for that. Another thing that we want to do is we want to um, re-put re back into place our children's team, um, which will help organize children's activities and Bible study and really focus on praying for and equipping our parents to lead and to disciple their children. There's a sign-up sheet there if you're interested in being on that children's team. And then finally, we are going to do some community events again this year. We've put those on pause for the last two years because of COVID. But uh, we are planning the Easter egg hunt again at Godwin Coppage. And this is uh, a way that we can proclaim the gospel not only to our kids, but um, to the kids of our community. And if you're interested in helping with that or with any other community events, there's a sign-up sheet for that as well. And I believe the sign-up sheets that Pastor Larry had out last week are still out as well. I'm right there on that table. God has called us to be on mission for him. A new day, but it's the same mission. We are called, we are entrusted, and we are given the message of reconciliation. And I pray that we will take seriously and not neglect the spiritual disciplines God has given us and the calling that God has given us. So that's my challenge and encouragement to you, that God has called us, but remember, all of this is from him. He does the work. He just calls us to be obedient. Let's pray together.